all the time this, uh, the, I think the, the catchphrase now, one of the catchphrases is body positive image. And there's uh, a lot of information there. If you go online, you'll find uh, articles, you'll find areas that you can do research, you'll find sessions, you'll find seminars, you'll find evaluations that you can take to evaluate your own personal self-esteem. Yet, whenever we look across the world at this particular topic, we find that about 85% of the population across the globe still struggles with self-esteem. We also find from psychology today, according to their research, that the overwhelming majority of programs that are designed to help people develop self-esteem don't work. So why is that? Well, there are probably a number of contributing factors. Uh, we're going to try to look at some of those things this morning, not necessarily what contributes to why self-esteem programs don't work, but we're going to look at three things this morning. One is how we view God. The second is how God views us, and then taking that into context on how we ultimately view ourselves as well. So let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to come into your presence this morning. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for that your spirit uh, lives in us as your children. And God, we just ask that you would invade our space this morning. God, that you would invade our space as a congregation and that you would invade our space individually as well. Father, that you would speak to us. And God, that we would not just hear, Lord, but that we would respond uh, as well. Father, just be with us. Guide us, Lord, be honored in our time this morning in your name. Well, that was to get some ideas around how we view God's character. And then I was going to actually test my prophetic abilities, which I don't have, and figure out uh, whether I was able to identify in the preparation for the sermon what we were going to respond and what we were going to have there. So we don't have anything up there on the screen, but let's go ahead and we'll record a few things up here on our whiteboard. So that's default. Maybe we should have moved to this a little bit quicker. But what are some ideas around descriptors of God's character? Just go ahead and call them out. Faithful. Faithful. All-knowing. Loving. Forgiving. Pure. Holy. I missed some. What was that? Sovereign. Personal and personable, right? Merciful. I heard gracious. Omnipresent. Oh, look, they're starting to work. Yep. Okay, so this is a pretty good list. All right, so go back and play with your phones again. See if this is going to work this time. Now that we have answers over there on the board, you can feel free to use those too. Josh, I don't know what you did back there. Maybe you just prayed over it. And <clears throat> okay, so we got a number of ideas up there. Notice what happens. The intent with this, if it would have worked on the, on the front end, is this is a word cloud, and if we don't know some ideas, whenever an answer is responded to or given multiple times, it gets bigger. So that's why you see loving, caring, fun. That's neat. Loving, caring, and fun are blowing up a little bit 
because those were given more than one time. So now this is going to shut down at about 30 responses. So if you get to the point where it doesn't respond, that's probably why, because it only will take a, a maximum of 30. But these give us some different areas or some different attributes of God's character. And what I'd like to do now is take just a couple of minutes and walk through some of these and talk about some scriptures that correspond to these particular attributes. So let's go back to, Josh, if we could move back over to our slide deck. That'll be the next, we'll do that one here at the end. If we can go to the slide deck at this point. So loving was one that came up there and was a little bit larger. In fact, it was one of the first couple that was listed over here too. Uh, Galatians 2.20 states, If I, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son, who, uh, Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. First uh, John 4.8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. All right, well, just, oh, there we go. All right, so that was, next slide, there we go. Um, so that's loving, forgiving, Ephesians 1, 7, which states, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then Luke twenty three thirty four, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments. So we know he's loving, we know he's forgiving. Sovereign was one that was mentioned, 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, which he displayed at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no other, no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. Uh, there are other verses that I've got listed here on some of these as well. We're not going to take the time to read every one of those. One that wasn't, I didn't hear anybody mention, was a master builder or a master craftsman. James 1, 1 to 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Reiteration of God framing and molding us. He's faithful. That was mentioned. Deuteronomy 32, 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. We're going to see this again mentioned whenever we get to the just. Somebody had mentioned just over here as well. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He is merciful. Luke 6:36. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Psalm 86:15. But you, O Lord, are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is just. Romans 3:21 to 26. Uh, and then also, as we mentioned, Deuteronomy 32:4 also comments about him being just. Just moving on, he is kind. So yeah, he's kind, Romans 2, 4. 
Uh, also, you see reference there, 1 Corinthians 13.4 and in Galatians 5.22. He is steadfast, 2 Thessalonians 3.5. He's righteous, Psalm 11.7, Acts 22.14, and 2 Corinthians 9.9. 9. And he is holy, Revelation 4.8, as well as Revelation 15.4. Now, I don't have this listed up there, but he's patient. I don't know if patient came up uh, on our listings or not, but he is also patient. And we see that evidenced throughout the scriptures. We see it especially evidenced in his relationship with Israel in the Old Testament. You know, we think of the 40 years of wandering that the Israelites had before moving into the promised land. And was that punishment? Or was that actually an exhibition of God's patience with them and allowing them a loving discipline so that their hearts would be molded and so that they would come back to him? How often do we see that in our lives where God is patient with us? You know, how many times do we, I speak this, I'm speaking myself personally. How many times do we or I have situations where, you know what, I thought I dealt with this. I gave this to the Lord and I thought I had victory over it. And then it comes back and it, it hits me again. Why? Because the enemy knows where I'm weak and so he continues to battle me in those areas. And God is just patient and he's loving and he's steadfast and he never moves. And he allows me to return and allows my relationship to continue to grow and to develop. We also saw that evidenced um, in the 70-year exile in Babylon by, or of the Israelites as well, where during that time, the Israelites became uh, a people of prayer, a people that cared and, and prayed about their city, and a people that returned to him. So, Josh, let's go ahead and pull that other pole up. We're going we're gonna to give this about 30 seconds. If this one doesn't work, we're just going to keep moving on. Uh, but the second poll, in a lot of those descriptors or those attributes of God's character that we just walked through and looked at some scriptures to, to back up, <clears throat> what I'd like us to do is just identify within that list, what do I struggle with the most and how I see God? Okay, so there we go. It looks like it's working. So, what we just discussed is he's loving, he's forgiving, he's sovereign, he's master builder, he's faithful, he's merciful, he's just, he's kind, steadfast, righteous, holy, and patient. Of those descriptions, which do we find most difficult in our view of God to comprehend and to, to internalize? And we might be locked out already, that's possible. Nope, nope, still moving, there we go. Somebody changed their answer. <laughs> One of the bars... One of the bars just uh, evaporated and another one came up. And that's okay. That's the beauty of this. You can change your answer and nobody ever knows who's changing their answers. Yes, that's a possibility too. We might have more than one as well. So generally speaking, it looks like the forgiving part uh, and the patient part are, are two characteristics or two attributes of God's character that maybe we struggle with a little bit. We also see sovereignty, faithfulness, just, kind. And there are times that things in our lives get in the way of us being able to see these aspects of God's character. We'll leave those up there for a second before we move on. But as you look at those, I'd like us to think about ourselves. For those of us that have come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, have acknowledged what he did on the cross and accepted him, we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the triune God. So if these attributes are part of God's character, we have those accessible to us 
through the Holy Spirit. We have the ability, not in and of ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit to have these characteristics. So when we look at that, and I'm not going to ask because this could have been another poll, what do I struggle with personally in all those? I'd probably list all of them. So why? If we have that power available to us, if we have the Holy Spirit living us, who empowers us to be able to access the throne room of God and who he is, why do we struggle with that? Well, number one, I'm not God, and I never will be. There are some philosophies that say, or some religions even, that promote that you can be God. Well, we can't be, and we never will be. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can attain, we can access these attributes. So we struggle because of sin. We struggle because we still have a fleshly nature that every day wants to battle against what it is that the Lord wants to do in us. Um, I think we also struggle at times because we're not abiding. The New Testament talks about the, uh, abiding, the um, abiding in the vine. And there are times where we don't abide. And when we don't abide, it's very easy to lose track of these characteristics. I would also suggest that it's very easy for us to get our eyes off of the source and get our eyes on self. Personally, I have no research to, uh, to substantiate the statement I'm going to make at this point. So please, if you're uh, in this particular field, I, I, again, I don't have research to substantiate this, but my guess is that a lot of those programs around self-esteem and why they struggle is because they don't point us to the source of our being. They don't point us to the reason that we exist. They focus on self, not focus on the source of who has created us. Jeremiah 29.13. We'll go back to the slides at this point, Josh. Um, we're going to take a look at that, and we're going to use this as kind of a springboard into the rest of our discussion here this morning. It states, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is probably not an unfamiliar verse to many of us. There are two parts in there that I'd like to talk about. Seek and find. So what does that mean? What does it mean to seek him? And what does it mean when I find him? I would suggest that the way we seek him is the way, same way that we are instructed to worship him. We see banners up here, spirit and truth. And we are given direction in the New Testament, we're going to look at this verse here momentarily, around worshiping him in spirit and truth. That is what we are called to do. And I believe that's the same way that we're supposed to seek him. And these are not completely independent entities of each other, although a lot of times we make them completely independent. Most of us have tendencies. Some of us may be much more comfortable over here on the spirit side. Some of us may not be overly comfortable on the spirit side, but you know what? You talk to me about truth, and I'm golden. I'm solid there. I'm good to go there. You get me a little bit out of my comfort zone on either side, and I'm not exactly sure what to do. We even have denominations that are separated 
because of these two things. That God is his character. He is spirit and truth. And yet we allow the character of God to create division because of us. And what I'd like to ask us to do this morning, I don't know where we are. Maybe some of us are completely comfortable right here in the middle. We're able to embrace both. But maybe some of us are one side or the other side where we're a little bit more comfortable with one over the other. And my encouragement for us this morning as we have a discussion is to try to step beyond those natural tendencies and see what the Lord might have for us this morning. So John fourteen six, you see that posted up there. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He tells us that he is truth. His word, we know, is truth. And he is truth. We see in John four twenty-two to 24, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is calling us to worship him both in spirit and truth and to seek him both in spirit and truth. First Corinthians two eleven to fourteen. That might be a little bit small for you to read. I'll read it for us. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We stand on truth. We stand on the Word of God. There are times where we, we, I know at least for me, I'll read an article um, or have a discussion with somebody who does not see things the same way that I might based on the Word of God. And we get passionate about our stance. We get passionate about the truth of God. And then there are times where I have no idea how somebody could have the perspective that they have. Right, here's why. Because these are spiritual truths. And those that do not have the ability to be able to interpret spiritual truths, it's folly to them. It's a lie, and it's not understandable. It is not comprehensible. Now, the beginning of this passage says that there are thoughts that we have individually that nobody else knows. Aren't we kind of glad that that's the case? <laughs> you know, I know there are times that, I, whoa, where did that come from? And I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to verbalize that. Well, this passage also says that God has thoughts. And the only way to access those thoughts is through his spirit. So, as Christians, that's the way we access the thoughts of God. Not just interpreting truth that he has written, not just understanding the truth of his son, but also understanding, hearing, understanding, and interpreting the thoughts of God. 
but they're spiritual. Yes, we have the thoughts of God in this book, and that's awesome. But we also have access to the thoughts of God through His Spirit. So what do we mean by seeking? I would submit to us that seeking involves four things. It involves listening, obeying, resting, and surrendering. Listening to his word and also listening to him speak to us. Sometimes it's a still, small voice. Sometimes it's a lot stronger than that. But being tapped into him spiritually is what allows us to be able to hear him. Now, hearing him is great, but we've got to step into obedience whenever we are prompted. It takes a different level of faith. We've seen that over the course of Abraham's life, and we're going to talk about it here again briefly this morning and tie this in a little bit to the series that we've been in. Resting. How many of us struggle with that? It is not an easy thing to do. There are times where God calls us to rest. Now, rest doesn't mean I'm not moving necessarily. Maybe it does. But he tells us to be still and know that I am God. If we're not able to find a place of rest, it's really, really difficult to be still and to know that he is God. And then we also see surrendering here. Here's what I want to talk about Abraham a little bit. So what is surrendering? Is surrendering, okay, God, I'm here. Go ahead, knock me out. I would submit to us that that's not surrender. How many of us have that posture? Yeah, God, I, I, got, I got this kind of figured out, um, but go ahead and speak to me. I'm ready. I don't think that's the posture that God calls us to. We see this with Abraham. Tim talked to us last week, Genesis 22. Whenever he said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, go and sacrifice him. And Abraham obeyed. Actually, before he told Abraham to do that, he said, or when he was getting ready to, to tell Abraham to do that, we read, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham, and there were three words that Abraham responded with. Anybody that was here last week, do you remember what those three words were? Tim would be really proud. That was great. Here I am. I don't see this with Abraham. Okay, God, here I am. Arms out. Spirit open. Here I am. And then God tells him what he wants him to do. And I can't imagine the emotion that's running through Abraham at that point in time, but he follows through. And then Isaac calls to his dad on the way up the mountain. And we see the same openness. And then we see I, or Abraham getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. And the angel of the Lord calls out again. And you sense the emotion, at least I do, sense the emotion of Abraham at that stage where he's being obedient to God to the point where he is confident that God is going to fulfill his promise to make him the father of nations, even though he's not going to have a son. And the angel of the Lord calls out to him there at that sacrificial altar. And he says, here I am. And I can't imagine the joy that ran through Abraham at that point in time. 
that God is interceding. God is intervening in this situation. He's going to save my son. Mind you, Tim also talked about that this is a process. Getting to that stage of faith, being able to hear distinctively the Lord calling out to us is a process. This is the same Abraham that took God's promise that I'm going to make you a father of nations. Well, you know, my, my wife is barren. She can't give birth. So, yeah, I believe you. So I'm actually under the prompting of my wife too. I'm going to follow this. And I'm going to go and help you out, God. So we'll go have Ishmael through Hagar. process where we see the same person that followed through to try to fulfill God's promise in his own way to the point where he's willing to sacrifice his son. It's complete surrender. And if we're to hear the voice of God distinctively and clearly, we've got to have complete surrender as well. Find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. So what does find me mean? I believe that what he means in that is that we understand more and more his character. We understand more and more those times where there's loving discipline and we accept those as purposeful in our lives. We understand more and more all those descriptors that are over there on the whiteboard, all those descriptors that you guys had entered into the poll at the beginning. We understand that more clearly. We know him more deeply and therefore we're able to hear him more intimately. Please understand, I don't have this all figured out. This is something that God is teaching me. It's continuing to mold me. Um, and it's something that there are times that, okay, God, I'm not sure you work that way. And he calls to me again. Surrender, Mike. Surrender. Let me show you. Let me teach you. Hear from me. There was a couple of weeks ago, actually about a week and a half ago or so, um, the regional night of prayer <clears throat> that was in King of Prussia. There were several, uh, several from the congregation that were there. Something that Tim was very intimately involved in, in coordinating. Well, Christine was asked, so this, the, the night of prayer was on Thursday. Christine was asked Tuesday morning if she would be willing to consider praying at the regional night of prayer. Now, for those of you that don't know my wife, that is like way, way out of her lane. So she's private. Um, to ask her to come up and pray in front of the congregation, it's a huge stretch, something that is very uncomfortable for her. And so whenever she was asked, she told me, she said, yeah, I didn't have an, I, I had no problem answering that. Uh, let me think, no. And it wasn't, it wasn't a hard thing for her. Now, I didn't talk to her until later in the day about this. So she was asked Thursday morning or Tuesday morning. I was out of town. I was uh, in New Jersey doing some things with, uh, with work. So I was out of town at that point. So when I talked to her on Tuesday night, she was sharing this with me. And she said, what are your thoughts? I said, that's totally out of your lane. I agree. Um, and then, but she told me too, she said, Mike, as the day progressed, I started thinking about this a little bit. And yeah, my initial response is, yeah, that's, that's not me. That's not what I want to do. That's not what God has called me to. But I want to be open. If this is really what God wants me to do, I want to be open to this. And so I'm like, wow, that 
really isn't what I anticipated that uh, the response would be. So she said, would you just pray about that with me? So I prayed about that that night, got up the next morning, prayed about it that morning, went to, to work throughout the course today, thought about it, contemplated it, prayed about it periodically, went back, went for a run after I got back to the hotel, uh, prayed about it while I was uh, on the run, got back to the hotel room, and I'm just really, really uneasy that this is, you know, I'm surprised that she was even asked to do this because that's just not her. And so I called her, and she walked me through some things and shared some things with me. She said, you know what, I've gotten to the point where, well, point where I'm just peaceful about it. If this is really what God wants me to do, I've got a peace about this. And she goes, and that is not me. And I'm like, you're right, that is not you. And so through the course of this discussion that was, I don't know, five, ten minutes long, just there was a shift in my heart. And so her praying became, would you guys pray together? Or consider praying together. And so I got off the phone and went back to working. Mind you, that morning, actually it might have been the day that I checked in the hotel room, the bathroom light, when I turned the bathroom light on, it just flickered. Flicker, 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 just like nonstop flickering. And so the bathroom light's on. This thing's still flickering. And I'm thinking about this and trying to pray about this while also still trying to, I'm trying to multitask a bunch of stuff right now, trying to work too. And I keep getting diverted. My mind just keeps getting diverted around this particular situation. And this light keeps flickering. And all of a sudden it's like, light, light. I got this thought, okay, Mike, Am I calling you, am I calling Christine to be a light in a situation that is maybe a little bit outside of your comfort zone? Hmm, where did that come from? So then I thought about Sunday school class a week or two before Paul Desch had talked about throwing out a fleece. I'm like, okay, I'm going to throw a fleece out. Okay, God, so if you're calling us to be a light, if this is what you want us to do, Make that light stop flickering. Wasn't instantaneous. Like, not right as soon as I said that, but within a minute, it stopped flickering. Okay, God, now keep it on. I'm going to throw another fleece out here. Now keep it on. Well, it flickered instantaneously, and then it stayed on and never flickered. The rest of the night, I left it on until I went to bed. As if, you know, that's a lot of faith in me, right? So I left it on. Next morning... Stayed on. It never flickered again. So at that point, when I called Christine the next morning, actually, I, um, Tim was helping to coordinate the schedule. And so I texted Tim. I said, yes, we glad to pray at this. And <clears throat> Tim's like, okay, good. I'll send the agenda out tonight. I'll give you guys some verses to, to contemplate and to maybe pray into. So... I went and actually pulled up a couple of passages. The Lord impressed a couple of passages upon me to pray about. And I prayed through those, never got anything from Tim. He had, my wrong, he had the wrong email address, by the way, is what, why I didn't get it. He sent it out later, but I never got it. But it was like midnight he sent it out. I wouldn't have gotten it anyway until the next morning. So the next morning, I got up. Um, I had talked to Christine about this and, uh, uh, that night. Got up the next morning, had it. To, actually, Christine sent it to me because Tim sent it to the wrong email address. And wouldn't you know, the passages that we were asked to pray about 
were the ones that I prayed over the night before. Now, if that's not God, that's, that's you know, no, that's coincidence, Mike. That's way coincidence. That's, those are the things that I'm, those are the things that God is teaching me to look at things maybe a little bit differently. So, end of the story. So I get done with work. I'm driving home. I don't have much of a window to get home to be able to get to the night of prayer. I'm driving home. I hear thump up in my wheel well. Immediately, the tire pressure light comes on in my car. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I pull over. This is on 287, five lanes of traffic. Average speed is about 120 miles an hour. So I pull over. Fortunately, there's a big, um, there's a big shoulder there. So I get pulled over. Okay, let's get this thing changed, go get the tire fixed, and then we can go. So I get four out of the five lug nuts off, and one's, a, one's one of those keys, one of those key nuts, and my tool's like eight inches long. I'm yanking on this thing as hard as, as it would have helped if I was a lot bigger, but I was yanking on this for all I was worth, couldn't get it to move. And so the uh, New Jersey Department of Transportation guy comes up behind me. He's got a big tool. So he gets it changed. I go to try to get the tire fixed. That ends up being a little bit of a fiasco, and I don't make it back. I look at my tire. Has anybody ever had a tire patched? Who's had a tire patched in here? All right. Okay. Did your patch ever come out? No. The tire that had the hole in it. Didn't have any, there was no nail, there was no slice, there was no nothing. It's a tire that I had had patched months before, and there was a hole in this. The patch came out. So, so how do I look at that? Is that coincidental, or is that spiritual? That's what God's helping me to see a little bit differently. I'm convinced that there was a spiritual component to that. And that was an effect of the enemy. Impairing what it was that God was working on me and personally and what he wanted to do with us as well. We mentioned earlier the attributes of God that are accessible to us. Personally, I'll tell you, I struggle with some of those. I struggle with being able to see myself as holy or righteous because I'm not. None of us are. But when we look scripturally at some of these, what does God say about us? 1 Corinthians, I don't have these up on the board or up on the screen. I'll just read them to you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I think that speaks to us individually. It also speaks to us corporately as the church. First Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Throughout Leviticus, we see the prompt to be holy. Righteous. Romans 3.10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. In and of ourselves, we cannot attain to righteousness. We do not have that ability. Galatians 2.21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We can't access it without his spirit. 
1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. If the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, then the righteous exist. And his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Psalm 34, 15 to 19. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So how do we see ourselves? We sing songs. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the song that saved a wretch like me. Are those true? Absolutely. Absolutely. what I would task us with asking ourselves, is that the way God sees us? Does God see us as wretched? That's exactly right. Does he see us through the distorted view of sin? Or does he see us as his children? Clear, Through the love of Jesus and the light of the cross. And so I would submit to us in closing that this is not about self-esteem. It's about God-esteem. He's the one that esteemed us enough to send his son to die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could have purpose in what we do. We're going to close with a song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whenever we had our love feast, we were singing this song. Um, and something prompted my spirit at that point in time through, I think Dave Willauer called them the Kump family singers because uh, Josh and his family were leading us uh, in that time. And whenever we were singing the third, ver- third verse, it was just a prompting. And something that jumped out to me that I'd never really, I'd never really thought about before. Verse three, I'm just going to read it. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? So when we read that second line, sorrow and love flow mingled down, the sorrow of Jesus, but yet the love that was depicted in his death. That, I would submit to us, is the way that our Father sees us through that lens. So as we sing that and we close this morning, I would encourage us to take that into consideration and look at this song and look at these verses maybe a little bit differently than we've looked at them before. Josh.